Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 23rd of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Polly Fermat is back in the spotlight because of the vicious assault on two members of Angarda Shia on Sunday night, just gone two months ago. There was a lot of concern in the area when a guarded car was rammed by a group of thugs. Yes, we said that there is a criminal justice response that we have regarding the resources, the supports that the community needs to respond to these types of issues. Two months ago, much was promised. We support the community in making sure that the right type of resources, the right type of resources, uh, and the right type of comprehensive community response is in place. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, went to Ballyfermot to reassure local residents. There are fantastic people working in this community, living in this community, uh, who just want to get on with their lives and support those who need their help. So uh, I suppose... What I've given today is a commitment for the Minister for Justice, Minister Brown and our colleagues, that we will respond and that we will help them with that coordinated response. Okay, that's the Minister for Justice, Hella McEntee, speaking in Ballyfermot exactly two weeks ago, committing to a response, although that uh, Gardaí had to, to be deployed uh, from Glundalkin to Ballyfermot because of a lack of uh, manpower in Ballyfermot two months on. And it was uh, those two Gardaí from Clondalkin who were assaulted on Sunday night, Monday morning. Let's uh, go to the leader of AIN2, Peter Tobin, uh, Meath West TD. Good morning to you, Peter Tobin. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, obviously, like I suppose most decent people in this country, you've condemned the attack on Angarda Shia And you're also proposing uh, mandatory sentencing for people who attack Gardaí, but not just Gardaí, all frontline emergency services workers. 
Yeah, so th- these are horrendous attacks and, you know, many Gardaí are going about their business in the service of us, the citizens, and they're putting their, their lives in danger and they're putting their health in danger. Uh, so we aim to produce a bill which would provide for a minimum custodial sentence um, if uh, a Garda is physically assaulted. Um, and we've done a good bit of research in relation to this and it's incredible. The, the assaults that we've seen on our screens in the last couple of days uh, are not unique in any ways. There have been well over 2,400 assaults on Gardaí uh, just in the last 10 years. So every year, hundreds of Gardaí uh, are actually assaulted uh, in this state. And we've also done a, a look at the strength of the Garda force, because we've been told that by the, go- the government of the Garda force has been getting massive investment. But if you actually look at it, Ireland has one of the lowest number of, of police or, or Gardaí per 100,000 people uh, in the whole of the EU. We have 40 officers per 100,000 less than the European average. And that figure is, is, is low because there's massive cutbacks during austerity, but it hasn't shifted upward at all in that period of time. Um, and the figures w- w- we see as well is that about 400 Guardi have resigned in the last five years. Um, so the figure for Garda resignations is significantly rising. And that's also because of the lack of morale within the force. And incredibly, Absolutely shockingly, we know we looked at how many Gardaí are being recruited into the force, and up until the start of this month, only 24 Garda trainees had actually started in Garda Training College in Templemore this year. That's outstandingly low. And you know, if you look at other years, you would have had 600 Gardaí and 700 Gardaí starting in in a given year. So there's a real lack of Gardaí coming into the force. Uh, at the moment. And on the other side, there are hundreds of Gardaí retiring every year. And finally, and I don't want to bamboozle people with, with figures, but the Garda Reserve Force is nearly at an all-time low as well. So under this Minister for Justice, we've had a collapse in Garda numbers, and we've had a, a significant increase in the number of assaults, uh, and we have very few Garda now um, joining the force. Right, nearly 2,500 assaults over 10 years, uh, I think you said. Yeah. Uh, 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 and each of those who assaulted Garda should be in prison. Uh, I take it for uh, the 2,411 assaults, uh, there was quite often more than one person. So you'd be talking somewhere between three to 5,000 people? of any law is to stop the action happening in the first place. So, you know, the, the reason why you produce penalties for criminal activity is to try to persuade people to desist from that. Um, and that's the most important element of any of any. But just to put it into the context of where we are, over the last 10 years, somewhere between three and 5,000 people have assaulted members of Angarda Shia Khanna. Well, the figures we have that we can be, be confident of, that well over 2,500 people have uh, well, assaulted well, okay. Gardaí over the last... Um, at the last 10 years. So there's hundreds happening every single year. Okay. And, and even then, just, then, just then add in, in healthline workers. Yeah, healthline and, workers. and this is another issue. So yeah. we're basically talking to nurses organizations and they're telling us that a significant number of, of people working on the front line in the health service uh, have also been attacked over the last while. So if you look at the figures coming out of the, just the Ireland East group, there's been 3,500 assaults reports over the last seven years. Now, that's an incredible situation mm. that you have you know, men and women whose job it is to save lives and to, to heal people in the hospitals, that they're actually under attack as well. Mm. And the, the same is happening for um, firefighters mm. in this country. who are And going paramedics. Out. 
in, in, in exactly you're going out yeah. in dark nights, maybe in, in Halloween, putting themselves in danger, fighting fires, yeah. and they're getting yeah. hailed with bottles and stones. Yeah. And we need a, a, a strong deterrent to change this. We okay. also need to change the culture, to be three, honest. Three, three and a half thousand assaults on hospital staff, is it over the last seven years in just the Ireland East? Just hospital. the Ireland East. Group, uh, yeah. and that, how, many, how many hospital groups are there? There is at least uh, eight hospital groups within the okay, state. Okay, so you're up, by you're, far the largest you're up on 25,000 there. Add that to the 5,000, let's say, uh, Gardaí who've been assaulted. That's 30,000. Uh, add in another one or 2,000 or maybe just round it down to 30,000 assaults over 10 years, let's say, on frontline emergency workers. Maybe one or two people involved. So you could be up to 60,000 people who'd be looking for a prison space. Uh, where are we going to get all the prisons? Well, the first thing, uh, Michael, and you know this, <clears throat> the, the reason for uh, custodial sentences is not just to lock people up. No, the, no, nobody has any interest in taking anybody's freedom away from them, criminal or otherwise. The reason we have custodial sentences is to send a very strong message to people not to carry out the action in the first place. And that's the most important element of this. So we know that once you bring about a strong custodial sentence as a penalty for a crime, people are far less likely to carry out that crime. So our view would be that the, uh, this would send out a message which would actually reduce that crime over that period of time. And, and listen, you know, if, if you have a situation where well over 2,500 Gardaí are being assaulted, where nurses, firefighters, mm. and paramedics are being assaulted, they're workers who are taking time off work as a result of their injuries uh, and are not going back to work for a number of weeks, maybe months, as a result of their injuries. And that means that those forces, those teams that we have in emergency services are less staffed, which obviously causes major difficulties um, for our society as well. But the, the real solution to this, in my view, is proper investment in the Gardaí that we have. In Mead, we have the lowest number of Gardaí per uh, capita of any county in the country. How much of a deterrent would it be, though? Well, we believe it would be a significant deterrent in relation to what's happening. Um, and the, the, the two ways to resolve this... Can you put it into context? I mean, if we're talking about a, a thousand results, which is a very conservative estimate on the figures you've given us uh, on frontline emergency workers a year, uh, what would you hope to reduce that to if everybody knew that if you assaulted a nurse, a, a doctor... A paramedic, a firefighter or a guard, you would automatically be sent to prison for a minimum of six months and up to two years. Well, we're, we're very confident, first of all, that uh, it would be um, a significant deterrent. So it would reduce the numbers. By Secondly, what? By, by what? The, by half? But the, it's impossible to say, Michael. It's impossible. Well, um, well, well but it's important. Second, to say, but no, no, it's say the second point is no, here. You, no, you, you no, no, just stay with a, that point. And number I, of figures. And no, I just no, but I will come back to. I'll come back sure. to the second point. Just please stay with the first point, uh, because there's no point in going on to the second point if the first point doesn't make sense. And. It, it, I mean, there's a lot of logic in your argument. We all agree. We wanted to stop and a prison sentence has stopped it. it that would be great. But if, if there's, let's say, at a minimum, a thousand assaults a year on frontline emergency workers and you could reduce that to half, you'd at least have to build one prison uh, in order to facilitate those people. Mount Joy, for example, houses 570 prisoners. So what you're saying, Michael, is that you know the, the, the trouble of financing a prison service is too much 
So let the Guardi go out there and get stuffed. No, I'm, a, let, I'm, let, I'm let, asking you, would you... Be, no, I'm asking, choice, I'm asking you a very simple question. Would you build... Are you proposing building another prison? You've, well, first of all, I do believe that we do need adequate prison spaces to deal with the crime that's happening in this country, for sure. Now, give us a chance to answer the question, if, you can, if, if possible. I don't have a crystal ball in terms of uh, being able to analyse the number of the reduced level of crime that this bill would bring in. But I do know one thing. We owe it to the Gardaí who are going out every night uh, into very rough and tough areas to be able to say, we'll protect you with the law and we'll protect you with the resources. We owe it to their husbands and their wives and their children who see their, their parents or their spouses going out on those dark nights into um, very violent crime situations to be able to say, you know, because you're in the service of the state, when we need you, we will protect you in terms of funding and in terms of the law. And secondly, um, the, the figures that you totted up at the start uh, are over a, a period of about uh, 10 years. Yeah. But, the, but the fact is, on an annual basis, those numbers are, would be radically less. And secondly, you know, we yeah, are talking ten, about... The 10-year figure was a minimum of 50,000 people. We're talking about a six-month six minimum sentence. And many people would actually say that a six-month minimum sentence is too little for a assault in a Garda that actually causes physical harm, where there's evidence of physical harm. Uh, now, we have a choice in this country. We have a choice to allow for situations such as the hatchet attack that took place in Ashburn uh, in the last number of days. We, you know, we have a choice where we want our housing estates um, to uh, experience uh, significant levels of violence. We, I know people currently who are sleeping with a knife under their bed, uh, for example, at the moment. Um, there is a drug dealing uh, happening on the main streets of our towns currently. Um, I don't want to name the towns in, in Meath, but there will be a number of towns now where shopkeepers are very, very concerned in relation to the crime and antisocial behaviour that's happening in the daytime uh, in our counties. We need a pushback in relation to what's happening uh, on the ground uh, in rural areas in our cities. O'Connell Street, for God's sakes, the, the prime street of our country is a, country, is, a, is a street where most people now would be very cautious about walking up in uh, once it gets dark in the evening. And that's an incredible situation. And it's a legacy of not funding the Guardian in terms of resources and not protecting protecting them in terms of the law as well. And I want to just want to say a final well, thing. Well, Connell Street was always like that. Well, first of all, you know, to, to, to accept something because it's always been the way is not good enough anyways. Um, but we, we have a situation in this country where certain crimes are going through the roof. Sexual assault crimes uh, in this state are increasing year in, year out okay. at the moment. And we do need to tackle it. We so do need you're not to going to build a new prison or 10 new prisons. Where are you going to put no, no, all no, these I, people? we should have the, do, do, the prison do, capacity to deal with the criminals that exist in this country. So, so is that a case, case of not imprisoning have, we, sexual offenders, is it? If it's a case where we need more prison capacity to deal with the crime, well, then that's what we're going to have to do. We have a choice. We keep people safe or we don't. And right now, that's not happening. And in this county, in Meath, we have the lowest number of guardians in the country, which is an absolute disgrace. In the minister's own constituency, in the district of Kells, for the first six months of this year, there was a zero detection rate in relation to burglary. That's an incredible situation. So the message given out by the minister to those burglars in that district was there is crime does pay. There is, there, there is no penalty for the crime carrying out here because we don't have the ability to detect 
the burglaries that are happening when people are sleeping in their own houses in this district. And for a Minister for Justice to preside over that is absolutely horrendous. And here we have, like, the Minister's going on a maternity leave, and I wish her luck in that. She's absolutely fully entitled to maternity leave, like yeah. anybody else um, in, in, in the country. But the, the, the government have decided to append the job of Minister for Justice to Heather Humphrey's job of Minister for Social Protection. They're not actually putting a full-time um, uh, person into that role. They're making it a part-time appendage role to another uh, ministerial um, department, which is, again, wrong. This well, is a crisis that's happening in our country. And you know, Well, well if, if the next Minister for Justice is Helen McEntee or is substituted for her maternity leave by Heather Humphreys or if there's an election and it's Patter Tobin, what should the next Minister for Justice do with all of uh, these people who are assaulting Gardaí uh, and so on. Uh, I mean, surely the problem here... We shouldn't here... give them a free pass, Michael. Let me tell you that. I well, don't think we should give them a free pass. Well, hold on. Uh, and it's the same with the people breaking into houses. Yeah. Uh, they're drug addicts, aren't they? They're alcoholics. Uh, they're people with problems. They're people with mental health sure. problems. Yep. And and is the, the, is the, is the solution... Uh, and I'm sorry, uh, I just want to finish uh, by asking the question. Is the solution building more prisons and putting people with mental health and addiction problems into prison? No, it's not. And, and that's not what we're saying here whatsoever. Uh, I'm the chair of the Safer Meath campaign. We've held uh, rallies in, in towns in Meath. And our primary calls in those times were for a drug rehabilitation centres in Meath. Right now, if you're a youngster addicted to drugs uh, in Meath and you want to come off those drugs, you, there is no residential drug rehabilitation centre center in the whole of this county whatsoever. There are no dual diagnosis. So dual diagnosis is where a person has a mental health uh, uh, issue and is also a drug addict. There's no place for a person suffering mm. from a dual diagnosis here in County Meath at the moment. And the mental health services, we had a 24-hour mental health uh, unit here in the county, yeah. which was part of, of Navin Hospital. And it was Minister McEntee's, when she was the Minister for Mental Health, saw the closure of that okay. and brought over to draw that with reduced bed numbers. Okay, but you want anybody who assaults a guard or who breaks into a house to be put into prison. Uh, would you reopen Spike Island? Uh, no, I wouldn't reopen Spike Island. Is, uh, listen, Michael, I think we're, we have a danger of going off the, 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 uh, the radar here in terms I don't of think we do because we're going off your numbers here, which would require at least one, if not two, if not ten new prisons to accommodate all of the people that you're going to lock up. So, again, what we're saying is we have a choice. We allow Gardaí um, to operate safely in the community, first of all, by making sure that there's an investment into the number of Gardaí that exist uh, in the force. That's at, a, at an all-time low, uh, and it's one of the lowest figures in the whole of the European Union. A significant investment would protect Gardaí in that space, would make the, the altercation spaces that they get into safer uh, for them. Secondly, we provide for a, uh, a, a space where there is strength in the law which prevents people getting involved in these altercations in the first place. And absolutely, we invest in mental health services, dual diagnosis, uh, residential rehabilitation centres uh, in, in the counties to make sure that people who have drug addictions, who have mental okay. health issues, are, are given um, the support. What and about also, public, what about honest, public transport have... drivers? Somebody's texting in asking, what about public transport drivers, buses, dark taxis, etc., who are assaulted on a, a daily basis? So those well, we, we, people who attack all, them also be locked up? In, 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 this, 
in the in the in the uh, press statement that you would have received, we have actually stated that there are significant levels of assaults that are happening uh, in the rest of society at the moment, and many of those uh, very significant, uh, where people are really really damaged, mm. uh, that are go- uh, going without a, a proper sentence, and we're researching the best way to deal with that. One of the reasons why we didn't broaden the scope any further yeah. was in part because of the concerns that you may have in terms of the ability to the state to deal with. Uh, that particular outcome uh, mm. in in the long run, um, but you know, if 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 the choice is soft words and platitudes by a minister three weeks ago in Cherry Orchard when the car is rammed, and yet nothing done to stop a car to getting beaten up a couple of nights ago, well, that's one choice people have. But if people want to see Gardaí being able to protect us safely, well, then we need to invest in Garden numbers and also protect them through the law. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Petter Bean, founder and leader of the AIM2 party and uh, a TD from Mead West. Uh, some people in touch with us already about this. Uh, we'd a text uh, from Jim in Navin who says, Michael, there needs to be a root and branch change in the laws in this country. The justice system is a joke where we hear Joe Bloggs tug as a hundred or so previous convictions. No point in Gardaí bringing these thugs to court when there's no deterrent. The social welfare should be cut, a fine deducted from them for criminal activity, deportation for visiting thugs, so we the taxpayers don't have to foot the cost of it, says Jim. Uh, another text from somebody who says Hi Michael, when they're sentenced, if they were treated like the women in the Magdalene laundries instead of like guests at a hotel, maybe they'd think twice. Too much pussy-footing around these thugs. Nothing thought of the victims, says our caller. That's just a flavour of what people are saying so far and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on this as well. You're welcome to call us. 0419832000 is our telephone number. That's 0419832000 or you can text a message, our text number, or if you want to WhatsApp your text, uh, the number is 0861800658 that's 0861800658 or email Michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM A spokesperson for the Minister for Justice has made contact with us and asked us to relay to you that Minister McEntee and the government are committed to tackling antisocial behaviour and building stronger, safer communities in Meath and across the country. The Minister regularly engages with people from across the county to hear and take on board their concerns. Talks about uh, the thousand Gardaí that have been promised next year in the budget announcement of September and 400 Garda staff and indeed that statistics show that there's been a decrease in a range of crime categories when you compare uh, year on year figures. Uh, that's just part of a, a very long statement that came in on, on foot of our opening conversation this morning with Padder Tobin, the leader of AIM2. A number of other people in touch with us. Thanks to Minister McEntee and indeed her spokesperson for making contact. A number of other people in touch with us uh, today as well. Stephen Indrada, who says if they had laws like they have in the UK where it doesn't matter who you assault, you're arrested, you're put in prison and you stay 
in prison until your trial comes up. If that was the case here, they'd think twice before assaulting anyone. Well, thank you, Stephen, uh, for uh, your WhatsApp message to the programme. Betty Daly says one of uh, the reasons O'Connell Street is as bad as it is is because of all of uh, the junkie clinics around Dublin 1. They gather to swap medications for money and uh, the council should remove uh, the boardwalk because nobody can enjoy it, says Betty. Thanks uh, indeed. Uh, I remember being beaten up on O'Connell Street uh, many years ago. Let me think now. That's about 40 years ago. Uh, Maybe more. 43 years ago, Betty. Uh, I think there's always been a problem in O'Connell Street, uh, to be honest with you. Maybe it is worse today than it was, but it has always uh, been a, a problem place. Uh, Paddy Duffy saying we have a site for a new prison in northwest Dublin, which Michael McDool bought at great expense while Minister for Justice. It's still vacant and we're still paying for the security on the site, uh, says Paddy. Well, thank you indeed for that. Uh, we'll go to another local issue now and indeed a, a very... A serious and worrying situation that uh, one uh, of our our neighbours is experiencing at the moment and his experience uh, was raised in the Dáil yesterday by local independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick. I would like to raise a terrible situation of one of my constituents in County Loud. On the 4th of October, I emailed the Minister for Health about my constituent John Evans, Dundalk, who, having previously undergone a kidney transplant in 2018, a leg amputation in 2020 is now waiting months for urgent surgery to remove his fingers as a result of dry gangrene. Because of the long waiting times, the gangrene is now spread through into his other fingers. This man is in constant pain. He presented himself at the A&E in Jordan numerous weeks ago and was sent home. Uh, even there last week, he presented himself at an A&E in Dublin and was also sent home. I acknowledge that the Minister of Health and his team has helped in getting an, the original uh, day for this surgery. Uh, however, since this, surgery has been performed twice. This is inhuman. If a mission is determined in accordance with medical needs, other this man's limbs critical. This man's mental health and level of pain deputy. is determined. Minister, ne- next Tuesday, the 29th of uh, November, uh, uh, John Evans has an appointment to see Dr Sullivan, a plastic surgeon in, uh, in, in, up, in This oh, This is only to be seen. Please, Taoiseach, will this government have John Evans? Dear God. Uh, John, if you're listening, sorry to hear your story. It really is a terrible story, as Peter Fitzpatrick uh, explained it uh, to members in the Dáil Chamber yesterday. This was the response to that complaint from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. I am familiar with the case. You and I have uh, discussed it. And uh, the the gentleman you you, um, you reference is in, in need of urgent care. And I'm glad that things did progress I'm not satisfied to hear that they have they have paused, and I will ask uh, the HSC for a, a, an update later on today, and I will revert to you with uh, where Thank that's you. at. Thank you. Right, that's the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, responding to Peter Fitzpatrick in the Dáil yesterday. Thanks to our listener who was in touch. This is Kevin in Drogheda who said, "I feel so sorry for Padre Tobin coming on to your show, Michael. You tried to knock him in all his comments. All you did was encourage these thugs to keep doing what they're doing." All they have to do when they're caught uh, and brought to court is to say to the judge, I have a mental health problem. Uh, You kept knocking back Padder when he came up with solutions. Shame on you, says our listener, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin, uh, for your text message to the programme today. (laughs) I'm sorry that you heard it that way. Uh, If the solution is to build a prison or 10 prisons to facilitate all of these well then that's the solution but that's what I was asking the deputy if that's what he wanted to do uh, and if not what is the solution and uh, obviously the lines are open if you want to have your say we'd love to hear from you 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Cabinet has approved maternity leave uh, for county councillors in uh, the country. The Minister of State for Local Government uh, announced uh, the measure being approved uh, by ministers yesterday and said that maternity leave has been an awkward question or a difficult question to contend with for some time because councillors are office holders, they're not employees. So working out the best approach was a, a difficult thing to do. In order to do that, he set up a subgroup of female councillors last year. One of the six women councillors who were selected as members of that cross-party working group is Joanna Byrne of Sinn Féin, a councillor on Louth County Council and on the line with us now. And good morning to you, Joanna Byrne. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, the Minister is uh, announcing uh, that the law that has gone through uh, many stages of uh, the Oireachtas at this stage will give women a number of choices if they are pregnant and maternity leave will be one of them by way of uh, being able to nominate a substitute to attend meetings and uh, to vote on your behalf. Good morning, Michael, and thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, um, you know, this this committee was one of the most enjoyable committees um, I've had the pleasure to be on. It was It was a very diverse committee in, in many aspects, geographically, age-wise, um, different statures of where people were in their lives. Some some of the members had children, some of the members didn't. Um, so there was a, a very mixed view of how maternity leave would be an issue for each of the six female councillors that was that was on the committee. Um, I think the, the announcement and, and uh, the publication of um, these steps that governments are taking are very progressive. I've been on record to say that I think it's a monumental step in promoting fairness and equality for female councillors. I think the absence of this type of support to date is probably the biggest deterrent for women get involved in public life, particularly at local politics level. Really? And I think this mm. opens up a pathway for more women to enter these positions, but more importantly, to stay in them should they decide to enter mother- motherhood while in this role. The scheme itself, um, I, I, it seems to be reflecting the views of the committee. There seems to be choice being offered to two councillors. As of this morning, it's not published yet, so I haven't seen the intricate details of it, but by all accounts, media reports and what the Minister stated yesterday is it's offering a choice um, to female councillors, which is what was reflected from the cross-party working group. So that's particularly positive in my view. Okay, Uh, if um, you're on maternity leave, uh, you'll be able to nominate someone to attend meetings and vote on your behalf. Yes, and I think like the one-size-fits-all approach wouldn't have worked in in this particular um, instance, there's some councillors who would like to try and, and stay involved um, throughout their period of maternity leave, and that's their choice. And, you know, particularly interested in seeing projects they may be working on for many years through and want to be there themselves to vote or to present them. And there is seems to be a support being offered in regards to administrative support for yeah. this choice. And then there's an option for those who who want to avail of taking return to leave, as is the case with, with every other female employee. So the, the flexibility in the choice here is is offering two different scenarios, it seems, um, to female councillors. Now, there is other things um, that the cross-party working group did uh, highlight and work on and I'd, I'll be interested to see in that there was discussions around um, leave in the event of a miscarriage, as well as paternity and parental leave for counsellors and family friend, friendly working hours. There was discussions around 
counsellors who may continue to work throughout the periods in the aftermath of having a baby who are breastfeeding and under the Maternity Protection Amendment Act of 2004 employers are, are required to provide mm. breastfeeding facilities so there was different things like that yeah. it was very interesting and it would be interesting to see what progress the Minister has made in them as well Okay, in the Minister's statement uh, it, it refers uh, to a period of maternity related absence or a counsellor who is absent due to illness uh, and probably uh, safe to assume, uh, following on from what you've just said, that that may relate uh, to miscarriage and so forth. Yeah, I, I think it was it was in that whole broader tree of, of, of things to do with pregnancy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what way that's worded mm. and what entitlements are given because it was something that was very common. Um, the experiences that was brought from all six members of the committee was nearly everybody knew somebody who had a miscarriage throughout their role while serving as a public representative in local government and there was no provisions in place and it's a very private um, thing and not everybody wants to declare it to the executive or sometimes even to their colleagues and if there is a provision put in place for that I think it would be something that would be very welcome. Okay and if you're on maternity leave you'd be able to employ a secretary on a weekly basis? Yeah, administrative support um, just to give you that little bit of assistance if you want to continue working um, throughout that period of maternity leave whereas other people might opt not to work to take the six months or whatever the time frame may be. Mm. Uh, And do you know what the time frame is? No, as I said, I haven't mm. seen it specifically. Yeah. It would it would be in line with other female empl- employees throughout the country, and those with similar PRSI contributions. That's mm. it's not to give any favourable exemptions to ladies in, in public life. It's to keep it in line with what other female employees throughout the country would would be able to avail of. Okay, you'd That's assume. Be anyway. So you'd assume on that basis that it, it would be uh, for a period of six months. Uh, there yeah. is that option of an additional unpaid six months uh, for people uh, working uh, in private sector and so on, um, you wouldn't expect anything along those lines? No, 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 that's not something that popped yeah. up. It was for the initial six months um, and to give that little bit of flexibility, whether mm. you wanted to work throughout that period yourself mm. or you wanted to step back and have the support there for somebody to act on your behalf. Yeah, It's pretty historic, isn't it? Uh, you believe uh, that it is so significant that it will encourage women not just to stay in politics, but maybe to enter into politics. Absolutely. You know, we have a very low percentage rate um, nationally. Loud is quite, is, is quite good, I have to say. But nationally, there's a very low balance rate um, of female to men ratios, it, particularly in local politics. And I think, in fairness, I know it was mentioned on your previous speaker there earlier on, I think um, Helen McEntee take maternity leave um, in the recent years and I believe she's due to go again in, yeah. in the next couple of days. I think that's something her in such a prominent role in politics um, has brought this discussion to the fore. Now I know um, this particular legislation doesn't put in any supports for TDs but I definitely think it highlighted the role and I think if them supports are there um, it's definitely something like I'm a young woman, I've no children it's something I've thought about mm. over the over recent years how would having a child impact on my work and life? Is it something I want to sacrifice? Is it something I could juggle? There's other people who have children and have struggled trying to um, mm-hmm. carry out that work-life, family-life balance. So it is something that's, that's to the fore, particularly if we're trying to promote young young women 
um, entering into politics. I think it's a barrier that has just come down and it's it's a monumental step in equality for female councillors. Well, historic, no doubt about it. Joanna Byrne, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin councillor in Loud and one of uh, the six women councillors who made up uh, that uh, subcommittee that uh, the government uh, consulted with uh, in terms of uh, drafting this legislation. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Somebody in touch saying, I'm sorry that you didn't get the headline you wanted off Padrito Bean putting everyone in prison. How in God's name would it help to stop a brawl in a pub by sending in two young Gardaí, a female Gardaí, four foot nothing. No wonder no one wants to be a guard. I've seen them around the town. This is kids. Uh, I'd say a, a group of about 10 of them going around our town, uprooting flowers, firing traffic cones into the road on the main street at half eight at night and there's no one there to stop them. There's no punishment for them Uh, and there is nothing to stop them or or nothing to put them off acting like this at least until they're 18. Margaret's in touch with us today as well and she says if we need extra prisons, uh, well build them. Uh, Just think of all the jobs that that would create. Lawlessness is out of control in this country and it will continue when there is no real consequence for the thugs who carry out these vile acts. There needs to be tougher sentences and a tougher time in prison when they get there. But I'm sure the do-gooders will disagree with that, says Margaret. Thank you, Margaret, for your text to the programme. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. That topic certainly has generated a lot of comment. If you'd like to add to what's been said or if there's something else you'd like to talk to us about, we'd love to hear from you. 0419832000 if you want to ring. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, if uh, you are watching scenes from Ukraine, as I think all of us, if not most of us are, on a daily basis, you really would wish that something could be done to protect the innocent. Well, uh, there is a a law or there was a a law in place uh, that would protect the innocent in a time of war. Women, children, clergy, lay people. Uh, And it goes back uh, some time uh, to when Irish kings gathered in Burr in 697 AD. Uh, This law of the innocents is uh, to be the subject of a talk that will take place in Dalgan Park this evening. It's hosted by the Mead Archaeological and Historical Society. Uh, And indeed, uh, Yulita Clancy, the president of uh, the society, is on the line. A very good morning to you, Yulita, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. Tell us a a little bit uh, about this ancient law which is so relevant in today's times. Uh, good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Um, yeah, well, I'm not the expert on this law. The, the, the author and the speaker tonight is Jim Houlihan, Dr. Jim Houlihan, who is a retired solicitor, who was state solicitor in Offaly for 30 years. Now, he did enormous research for his PhD into this law, which was promulgated, as you said, in 697 AD, and it was driven by Adomnon, who was the abbot of, of Iona, and who had considerable It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...and respect in Ireland. And when he came over in 697, he was driven by this passionate concern for the innocent and the vulnerable, the weakest in society. So it was kind of a, a, a very unique law in terms of all of the laws and conventions that were about war at that time and the it was ratified at that great gathering of kings irish kings and clergy including bishops from scotland because iona had considerable obviously influence in scotland too at that time and you know we only know the law from its mention in the annals and also in later manuscripts um, and we also know that it was re-promulgated. He, uh, it was brought back with the relics of St. Columba some years later after Adam Nunn, and it was renamed, I think, at that time, the Law of Columba. Mm. And uh, so it, it's a quite a unique, um, you know, it's for its time in terms of its wording, but the fact was that he recognised that non-combatants, it would form kind of one of the first... Um, humanitarian laws and it would have obviously followed the monks going across to Europe in fact there's references to Columbanus promulgating similar type laws out in France and Switzerland so it's um, it, it's something that we hope we learn a lot more about tonight and mm. we also have copies of his book which is goes in depth into the context at the time and that will be on sale especially tonight at a discount for anyone yeah. who turns up Very good, uh, I'm sure uh, given and, uh, how topical this ancient law appears to be. Uh, there will be great interest in uh, this uh, talk. Adam Nunn, uh, the abbot of Iona, uh, was known also as St. Eunan, uh, mm. a name that people might be more familiar with. Uh, and I say it really is topical, uh, but has been uh, topical, unfortunately, at every stage uh, in history, hasn't it really? Because, I mean, uh, as... Uh, species uh, we don't learn from history and uh, we should of course learn uh, the lessons of war but the hawks of war throughout uh, the centuries have always talked about casualties of war in other words the innocents and this law uh, was uh, designed to protect the innocents back in 697 AD uh, something that perhaps uh, would be of interest uh, to Putin and his comrades Yes, it should be of interest, Michael. And I, I watched with interest an interview, I think it was the BBC did with um, the Russian ambassador to the UK last night. And it was quite an in-depth, an in-depth interview. And she did put strong questions about that to him. But really in his, he talked about social media, he talked about rumour, he talked about that war and these things happen and that the Ukrainians were doing similar things and that he could give lists of things like this. He didn't actually... As far as I can recall, he didn't actually deny some of the things that the UN Commission had actually drawn up on um, their investigation so far. But he was sort of saying that, well, these are happening on the other side too, and uh, 
um, you know, he didn't know a lot about them or anything like that. But it is, it is, mm. it is, you know, just absolutely awful that in, you know, after Geneva Conventions and after going through so many wars, that here on the, 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 the continent of Europe, we are again faced with this terrible, terrible plight and so many innocent people being killed and so many people having to to leave, as we know here in Ireland, um, who have welcomed so many immigrants, um, mm-hmm. refugees, shall we say, from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one would hope that people would be trying earnestly to bring about an end to this carnage. And it, it just seems to be going into another winter of absolute terror for the people of Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and uh, that means so many things. It's not just one terrible situation. Uh, it's one terrible situation after uh, another. Uh, the Law of the Innocence will be discussed in Dalgan Park uh, at half past seven if people want to attend. Uh, that's the meeting of the Mead Archaeological and Historical Society at half seven this evening in Dalgan Park if people are interested in that. Yulita, good to have you on the programme. A while since we spoke uh, and quite a, a lot has happened. Uh, yeah. Uh, since we last spoke uh, in uh, terms of Northern Ireland's politics uh, it really is a, a dreadful situation uh, where we haven't had uh, government since February uh, and it looks like there won't be a government come next February uh, and there's some hope uh, and then there's a, a lot of red lines as well. What's your read on the situation in the North yeah, at the moment? Well, well, here I'm talking personally, it's not for the Mead Archaeological Society, um, it's really in terms of my experience for 30 years almost now with the Mead Peace Group and um, well, really it's it's just, you know, here we are, we're, we're coming up to the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement and we're back again in this vacuum and um, you know, while the, the DUP have legitimate concerns about aspects of the protocol, they should never have been, it should never have been possible for an, a duly elected assembly not to be allowed to be set up and for an executive not to be up and running. I mean, at all times, but also particularly now in this time of crisis. And, and we know that from the previous the previous um, vacuum um, from 2017 to 20, that was during that period when Brexit was being determined mm. in Westminster and we had no voices in Northern Ireland in terms of our assembly where this could be debated and trotted out and perhaps the situation we're in now averted. Um, the, the Really, Northern Ireland had very little say and was very, very, you know, very rarely referred to either in Westminster where it was def- the Good Friday Agreement was defended ably by Sylvia Herman who was an independent unionist but in terms of uh, the laws and in terms of the media shows and the debates, Northern Ireland entered very, very rarely into those discussions and wasn't picked up enough mm. by um, people in England and Wales and, and those areas that voted for Brexit. Mm. It looks, as things stand, that there is no hope, and literally no hope. If all sides stand firm in this, there is no hope. Uh, but politics is uh, the art of the possible. Where, if anywhere, do you see room for compromise? Well, I think obviously the talks that are supposedly going on between the EU and and um, the UK, mm. uh, they, they, you know, you're getting mixed reports on that. And sometimes the mood music is said to be good, 
and that there were things happening and then other people are saying, oh, that's only just technical talks so far, that they haven't yet gone on to the political talks. Mm. Well, I mean, I think, I know that, you know, the UK has been going through all of this turbulence in terms of their prime ministers and changes of government, but really there is no excuse for taking the eye off the ball of what the northern situation in, is, is, is showing now. And we're showing kind of cracks there in terms of threats and hoaxes and all of these things, but real threats of violence, as we saw against yeah. some of the police the other day. And, you know, there's also the plight of the people who are waiting, who are going through a very hard um, uh, cost of living crisis. Mm. Huge, huge, huge problems there to be sorted. So it's up to... The politicians in 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 the UK primarily, but also our own government, which I think is doing its best, but everyone to try and you know put pressure, mm. but also to argue to to make sure that those talks proceed fastly. Okay, but even even if those be set up again in February, I know, know but that's the problem. Even if those talks are successful, that doesn't guarantee anything because uh, one of the main actors is not uh, included. No, uh, and if those talks are successful, as things stand, mm. if if everybody holds firm, that would require the Tories selling out the DUP. Uh, will the DUP capitulate? Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be selling out the DUP. I mean, the DUP have raised some legitimate arguments. I think perhaps they went too far in initially in looking for and, and, and creating a demand for the scrapping of the protocol, which clearly isn't on the cards and which, you know, it, it would, would mean... Would, would severely affect the Britain's trade relations with with the with Europe. Uh, mm. So really, the work has to go on there. The but work it is. Uh, sorry to argue with you, you leader, but it is on the cards. There's legislation going yeah. through Westminster, oh, I understand that, that. And, that's and that's what the DUP expects. So if their expectation is that it is selling them out, isn't it? it well, yes, it, mm. it, it 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 would be seen as that. But I hope. I mean, I've usually been a fairly good optimist in yeah. terms of Northern Ireland and in the people there who have shown such courage and such determination in the past and civil society which did so much in terms of the Good Friday Agreement there has to be more and more discussion on our airwaves about that, listening to all the different sides on this. I I don't see, I mean it is, we are really in an extremely difficult situation here and I mean there's another law going through Mm. in relation to legacy which again is ignoring the wishes of the people of Northern Ireland, the victims and survivors all, all, of that. all political parties, all survivor yeah. representatives, uh, rep, rep, representatives uh, and uh, indeed uh, the two church leaders out yesterday uh, saying that it really isn't helpful. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, there's yeah. another aspect that is I'm very concerned about, and that is the recent reports about the lack of information of our young people about what happened in Northern Ireland. And, yeah. and that's a really serious gap in terms of our politics and in terms of justice for the people of Northern Ireland. We're going back to the innocence. I mean, the vast majority of people killed in that conflict were innocent people. Mm, Of course. And men and women, civilians and children. Unfortunately, that's the reality, I think, of every conflict. uh, I mean, for many mm. years in Mead, we tried to do our bit in terms of of raising awareness, but also we ran a programme for transition years in some secondary schools that invited us in and they were marvellous schools where we did six-week programmes bringing down people from various communities in Northern Ireland and from academics talking about and raising awareness and allowing those young people and empowering them to learn more. Now, it wasn't a kind of a blaming type thing, but 
but it was trying to show them, you know, the complexities and for them to play their part. Let as the past inform. Let the past inform our future. Yeah, Yulita, but, I mean, I, look at look at look at last night. There was an incident where Arlene Foster, who is now not in politics you know, was used by somebody who took a selfie with her and sang up the ra while doing so. Now, we all know that Arlene Foster, as a, as a young woman, a girl, that her school bus was attacked by the IRA. So, you know, to do such insensitive things and for people to sing such songs. Now, Michelle O'Neill did come out to condemn it, as far as I can see. But we really need to take this mm-hmm. and and say how wrong this is and to let our young people who would not condone the killing of innocent people. Okay, Yulita, I'm way over time. I have yeah, to leave there, you, but Michael. thank you very much thank indeed and good to talk to you again. Nice to have you back on the show. That's uh, Yulita Clancy, uh, who is uh, the president of uh, the Mead Archaeological and Historical Society and also, of course, uh, has uh, been organising uh, the Mead Peace Group uh, meetings for many years, 30 years, I think Yulita said there a few moments ago. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you received a pup payment or your wages were topped up during COVID, you'll be aware, I'm sure, that you owe tax on those payments. Jed Nash, Labour Party TD for Loud and Mead East and spokesperson on finance for the Labour Party joins us now. A very good morning to you, Jed Nash. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You believe that, that people should not be asked to pay this tax now. Uh, I, I don't, and I, I, I've held firm to that view since uh, I first examined this issue in detail back in January in 2021. About 644,000 people had their wages subsidised by the state uh, during the early days of the pandemic. Uh, listeners will remember the introduction of the temporary wage subsidy scheme, and that was replaced then by the employment wage subsidy scheme in September of 2021. And the pandemic unemployment payment as well, uh, that and the TWSS, uh, because in real time, you know, your, your your tax wasn't taken out of the TWSS. It was with the EWSS. Uh, there is a tax liability due. Now, for, for some people, Michael, that will involve an average of €865. Euro, but if, for example, you may have been paid the TWSS and let's say the PUP as well at one point in time, you could end up owing about €2,500. So back in January 2021, I first started calling for you only consider scrapping um, these payments. These were obviously emergency payments made. They were crucial payments made to keep people in work and to help employers through a very difficult period. And we believe that in the context of the cost of living crisis that workers are experiencing now, uh, that I think there's a strong argument for government to set this aside to, to scrap these bills. It wouldn't cost an awful lot of money in the scheme of things, but would represent like, a real break for people who are struggling because a lot of people on the TLS, people on low and very modest incomes and a lot of the benefits that people might the small benefits that people might uh, see from the budget uh, in, in late this year and into, into next year will be eroded by the tax bill that they will owe. Okay, but weren't they uh, emergency payments uh, to people during a global pandemic and because of the emergency uh, that the attempt was or the uh, objective was uh, to get that money to people as quickly as possible uh, and to do that the money was paid on the basis that you would owe the tax and that everybody was uh, aware that when they received the money that they would owe the tax. That's right, I'm not, not disputing that and 
not only is it, for example, the pandemic unemployment payment uh, liable, make you liable for, for, for a, a relatively small amount of tax, albeit it is an imposition on people, especially people who are struggling and find it difficult to make ends meet. A lot of other social welfare payments would also attract um, tax. And that's been the case literally since the foundation of the state. But a lot of the normal norms uh, that, that we have in this state and that we've operated for, for decades and for generations were suspended during the pandemic and have been suspended still as well to enable the government to deal with the cost of, of mm. living crisis. So we do think that there's a strong argument to be made for a, a review of this. For example, as well, Michael, um, people might know that uh, employers have the opportunity to uh, pay that bill off for employees, and a small minority of mm. employers did that. But that window is now closed closed, closed in September 2021. That was really before the cost of living crisis started to bite. And I would be asking for the um, government to consider reopening that window because for, for a couple of reasons. One is that employers are trying to help uh, staff uh, uh, for example the the um, opportunity for you know tax free voucher payments has been increased mm. uh, in the in the budget uh, because there's an acknowledgement that employers want to help uh, their employees in a way that's tax efficient uh, and a way of really doing this in a very tax efficient way would be to reopen the opportunity for good employers to help staff with their tax bill one of the other reasons why that should be done is because employers tell me all of the time they're finding it difficult. But this is individuals' bill. Uh, uh, this is a, a, an individual's tax bill, isn't it? it is. uh, and yeah. the individual would know exactly uh, how much they owe because there was an obligation on the employer to tell them uh, what was owed and uh, what it would amount to and to make sure that they put that amount away so that the, this bill wouldn't come as a surprise to them. Yeah, but see, the difference here is that uh, the, the TWSS wasn't taxed in, in real time. The subsidy that you got to top up your wages wasn't, wasn't uh, taxed in real time in the normal way. And we're talking here about PAYE workers. So um, it's not necessarily the responsibility of the employer to tell somebody what they owed in terms of the TWSS because the relationship was different. It was not being taken out by, you know, it wasn't being taken out in real time. So the relationship here is between the PAYE worker and the revenue commissioners. And people would have been surprised, Michael, over the last year or mm. so to have received these bills. People who would never receive correspondence from the revenue commissioners because they're PAYE workers. And this goes to the heart of this. I mean, some of the figures that I obtained and were covered by the media over the last week or so in relation to this are really interesting. Um, it says that about, uh, for example, 5,500 people in, in Laos um, they haven't made uh, returns. The issue there is that from 2022 up to 2026, you're going to see your tax credits reduced. So you're going to be losing at least a couple of hundred euros per year in reduced tax credits because of this tax liability. But the ironic thing is that because people haven't made tax returns, some people also have overpaid tax or may not have claimed tax relief, for example, on medical expenses, which you can do through the old Med One forms, mm. for example. So, 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 you know, tax tax advisors are advising people to make contact with the revenue commissioners to see actually, do I have mm. an overpayment? Because all of that's no. refundable. But uh, it seems a exactly. peculiar. It seems a peculiar position for the Labour Party uh, to be looking for a, a method uh, that would result in people not paying their taxes. Not at all. And, and I'll tell you what we might have. Well, they are their taxes, though. They, they, they are, they are. And it was made clear, I mean, as you agreed at the outset, it was made clear that the payment was made on the basis that the tax would be owed. Yeah, what we're talking about here is a, a suspension, a, a form of an amnesty, uh, taking into consideration the difficulties that people have at the moment. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, this is about equity and it's about fairness. Michael, you know very well, I've been on this programme uh, on um, countless occasions over the last two years, um, 
drawing the public's attention to the fact that some employers who benefited from the TWSS and the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme were still paying out dividends to shareholders. They were still paying out bonuses to senior executives and so on. Uh, and the Revenue Commissioners and Government Policy, uh, they've decided not to pursue the 866 companies who pay dividends who clearly didn't need the wage subsidies but they used those subsidies in fact to benefit their shareholders now in no way is that right morally or ethically so what we're saying here is that have some balance and to take account of that uh, that was 396 million euro by the way uh, that was involved in the payment these payments to 866 companies 396 million euro and for 219 million euro that's what's owed at the moment on the TWSS and the PUP you could balance that out bring those bills down and give people a bit of a break Alright we have to leave it there thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning Labour's uh, spokesperson on finance Jed Nash is a TD for Loud and Me East Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you know, residents of East Wall have been protesting about uh, accommodation being provided uh, to refugees and asylum seekers locally there. But it's not the only place that people have concerns and it's not the only place uh, that there have been protests. Uh, and indeed, uh, the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, was in front of an Oireachtas committee yesterday and he, he was speaking about the lack of consultation that people are complaining about. I, I recognise in terms of the, the information and, and by and large we try, particularly to members of the Oireachtas, try and get, get information out there uh, and we'll continue to do that and we look to continue to improve the manner in which we as a department get information out there in terms of international protection applicants uh, uh, accommodating them and accommodating Ukrainians. Improving on getting that information out there, the Minister said he would uh, do. But he, he also asked us all to recognise the fact that we are in an emergency situation. We are having to act far more quickly than I would like, uh, but it is for the very simple reason that uh, we are needing to be able to find beds, spaces for people on a daily basis. Uh, and that's not to, it's not to make an excuse, Deputy, because there should be better mechanisms of communication. But I think I suppose it's just to provide a reason and a context in terms of, you know, the team here and the team working, you know, a very new team and, and still a small team, like in the context of, of the challenge we're, we're facing, have done a, a huge amount. Um, but I suppose the the, 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 the the ultimate goal is to secure accommodation. Um, but look, I, I take on board what you're saying and, and we will look to um, strengthen our ability to, to get clear and correct information out to people. Right, that's Roger Gorman, the Minister for Integration. Let's go to East. Well, Gary Gannon is a Social Democrats TD for Dublin Central and he's on the line. This is your constituency and a, a very good morning to you, Gary Gannon. Thank you indeed morning, for joining us on the programme this morning. There's genuine concerns, there's no doubt about that, uh, but there's also some sinister elements uh, involved in fueling these protests. There is genuine concerns from people who simply wish to be informed when changes happen to their community and to their area in the absence of information, clear guidance from people in positions of power. It does leave a vacuum for more sinister and nefarious groups to step in. And we've seen that in East Wall. I think we've seen it around various different parts of the country over the last year. Um, so the Minister has certainly, I think... The minister failed in his responsibility to inform the people of East Wall of what was happening in their community. But we also have international obligations. We're in the middle of 
a cruel and incredibly unjust war in Ukraine that's meant that over 44,000 people, I think, have arrived on our shores here from Ukraine over the last, since the start of the invasion. We have to meet that responsibility. And in addition to that, we also see people fleeing war, persecution, famine um, from various other places too. And I don't want to be in a scenario where any people are standing there sort of building, screaming, ow, 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 at people seeking sanctuary here. I don't, and I'm not. I, I, don't want, I, I, I hope I'm never one of the people inside the building. Exactly. And while like, there are legitimate fears, I think we can be better than that also. Mm, yeah. Uh, and uh, some. <laughs> just downright racist statements being made uh, as well by some of those attending these protests. Also just misinformation too. I mean, I looked at some of the footage from the protest. I've seen a guy standing on a ledge talking about the fact that hospital waiting lists were a result of the fact that we are taking in more refugees. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, there are hospitals when I go to them are usually bolstered by people that are walking incredibly long hours who come from here from other parts of the world. Um, what's happened, I've seen happen in these because I was looking at some of the footage on kind of various different people's Instagrams and mm. TikToks and Facebooks. I've seen some incredible statements being made. But was also, I should also say there were some locals there who were also standing up and saying, look, our community has been enhanced by people who've come here from different faiths and different mm. parts of the world. But obviously they felt that they should have been consulted. Look, I would have a different view about the level of consultation. I think people absolutely need to be informed. I think people need to be told exactly what is happening in their community. But I also think we have a, we have a responsibility too. Um, so that's where I would fall on it. Yeah. Where did this thing about vetting come from? Uh, 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 if, if, if I move into a house next door to your house, uh, what, what are you going to know about me? The, the idea of unvetted men. So there's language now that has penetrated into this and it is being transferred here yeah. from right-wing groups taking lessons from other right-wing groups in the US and yeah. the UK and elsewhere. So we'll hear about vet in this country and also most other countries too. We vet people who work with children or adults with intellectual disabilities. We don't vet anyone else. Um, the idea of unvetted men, or you'll also hear talk of men of fighting age, mm. um, but that's not language that we associate. That's not language. That, that's language that's been transferred here. It's used to kind of store the pot and play off people's fears. Mm. Um, but look, there are huge amounts of problems. Not like obviously representative for Dublin Central and the Centre. We have issues of people feeling unsafe in this city. Um, and I think some of those are legitimate. I've held a public meeting last week on the issue, but it wasn't yeah. about people in our international protection system or those mm. seeking refuge here. But that didn't really come up. The issues are far more kind of insidious and societal based than that, and we should absolutely be confronting those. Mm. But, we, but it's too easy to point at a building housing people here from coming from overseas and they are absolutely and there is like justifications why men in particular with a royal force like if you're coming from a place like Afghanistan from Eritrea like these routes are really difficult so mm. men take them first and their families will usually follow afterwards yeah. um, that, that's what happens but it's been um, exploited out to be something more sinister than that it's been exploited uh, and it's not the first time that these characters have exploited situation uh, I'd be familiar with some of uh, these characters uh, who you will see uh, saying that all genuine refugees should be welcomed into this country but 
Uh, and yeah. then they go on to imply that the people that they're talking about are not genuine refugees. Uh, these are members of right-wing racist fascist groups. They're the same people who talked about uh, lizard aliens taking over the world and suppressing oh. people. They're the same people who told people not to pay their mortgages. They're the same people who said 5G technology okay. was going to kill us all. They're the same people who said microchips were in vaccines. They were the same people who were saying that there were aborted fetuses under the GPO and that they were being turned into the vaccines. They're the same people who say Bill Gates and George Soros are, are trying to depopulate the uh, the world. Uh, they're they're nutters, basically. Look, I mean, I, I was listening to talks the other day about the great displacement theory. Like some fellow talks standing up on a platform and telling people about the displacement theory and telling them that this is being planned for over a decade. I do. I would like to replace that one particular individual with like a couple of decent people from anywhere else yeah. to be honest with you but um, I'd, like, I'd like to place them in the middle of Kiev or Kershaw or um, to uh, see uh, how we would feel if uh, there was a strike on uh, that nuclear plant in Serbrisha Exactly and like, in many ways these people have far more in common with the people that are telling us they, the people who are speaking and I'm very much speaking about the right wing fascist groups they have more in common with some of the people who they would tell us to be afraid of in other countries than they do with the people who've come here just looking to build a life. Well, I don't know why, but they all seem to be Donald Trump supporters. Yeah, look, and that's... And they're tapping into a fear. But for me, like, I've I've seen... Like, especially through my Facebook page, you know, Facebook is that kind of old medium where people use... When I first started out, when there's people locally I would have been friends with, connected with... And I've seen some people on that, and inevitably, the people who are on the front line of a lot of the injustices of this day, like they're either homeless or living in homeless accommodations, and they've been they've to the brunt of experience in poverty. They've been crying out for help and being left behind by the state. And these characters, right wing fascist characters who've been practicing it for a long time, mm. start giving them images of a homeless person who they'll claim to be an Irish homeless person and mm. juxtaposing that against somebody who's there seeking international protection and making her out like it's either one or the other. We can help her homeless community or we can or we can choose somehow to help um, people in like our international protection system mm. as if we can't or shouldn't or don't have a moral, ethical or legal obligation to certainly be doing both. Mm. And it's like they point to the failures of the state's successive governments and rather than actually hold power to account in this country, they go to the absolute most vulnerable and say they're to blame. That's the saddest thing you yeah. can see. Yeah, and there's a, a real danger now, I think, uh, because uh, we've, I don't know, over 60,000 uh, refugees from um, um, from Ukraine alone in the country, uh, probably 70,000 overall. Uh, people who are seeking refuge in this country, whether they're refugees or asylum seekers, as uh, the case may be, uh, and the numbers are going to grow. Uh, and we have now this dangerous mob who have discovered a way of tapping into people's sensitivities and people's concerns. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's, a re- there's a recipe for trouble here, Gary. There is a recipe for trouble here. And we've seen it happen in You'll be seeing it happen in the UK, parts of Europe. There is a recipe for trouble here. But we shouldn't be too discouraged. I mean, people will have looked at what's happening in these walls and certainly eyebrows were raised. But all across, like where I'm living in Dublin, I'm sure where you are and your listeners are also, 
in this country we've got really, really great people who've stood up and accepted people into their communities, the towns, villages, the cities. We're very warm and open embraces and they've been enhanced by them. Like Ireland is full of very kind people and I, think, I do believe that love will overcome that hate every time but we also need to confront it. We shouldn't be complacent. Okay, we leave it on that note. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Gary Gannon, Social Democrats TD for Dublin Central. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, new legislation will ban uh, the sale of e-cigarettes to under-18s. That should become law by next year. Let's speak to Michael McLaughlin, who's Head of Advocacy and Communications with Youth Work Ireland. Michael, good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Do you support this legislation? Yeah, broadly we do. I think uh, the aim is to align the the vaping, we're going to call it that, uh, regulations with that for mainstream tobacco. Now, people will say it's not as dangerous as tobacco, and that is actually correct. But if that that's a very very uh, low bar, if I want a better phrase, because I mean tobacco is about the most dangerous thing you can do to yourself in terms of health. So saying that it's less dangerous than the most dangerous thing. Uh, isn't really a good comparison. And I think uh, there's a lot of research now that's showing there are still harmful effects. There's also uh, links with smoking. Uh, there's issues around chemicals and various contents as well. So generally speaking, I think a precautionary principle uh, does make sense in this area. OK, you won't be able to buy them from vending machines either. That's at any age. Uh, and advertising is to be prohibited uh, on public transport in cinemas and near schools uh, in order to stop influencing young people to take up this habit. Uh, but it seems like an awful lot of young people have taken up the habit. It, it may be less dangerous, but it's certainly not less addictive. It is as addictive, if not more addictive, it, it would seem. And 39% of 15 to 16-year-olds have used e-cigarettes. Yeah, and I can't help seeing a link with other things, for example, like the whole alcohol discussion that the, the big thing for, for uh, e-cigarettes and vaping is, is flavours and different types of flavours and marketing and colours. And all that world suggests, like, why do you need to market these things so much? You're particularly targeting, again, young people and people are interested in, in that kind of approach. You get them locked in early and then mm. you keep them for, for long periods of time. So if, if vaping and e-cigarettes sometimes are seen as an exit mechanism from smoking, then maybe again you might you might see that, but that would usually be at older ages. But when you see it as an entry mechanism, perhaps into into the world of smoking and cigarettes, that's a whole different uh, ball game. Yeah, you'd have to take your hat off uh, to the tobacco industry. Uh, I mean, they've <laughs> always been very good at this sort of thing, going back to Humphrey Bogart and. Uh, when everybody smoked and all of that sort of thing. But, but, uh, I mean, e-cigarettes should be held up as a wonderful thing, as a medicine for uh, getting addicts off cigarettes so that they can do that successfully uh, if all of the other uh, things that are available, the supports are available uh, to them uh, don't work. uh, And they can be wonderful for that. But why on earth anybody would take up e-cigarettes is beyond belief but they're very very popular with young people what is it do you think uh, that attracts young people to them well I think society as a whole understandably and I include myself in the early days thought oh this seems great this is a really great development when you don't really read into it in too much detail or in depth you think what a good idea that you have something that's different it doesn't cause as much harm and doesn't have all the same isn't as bad as smoking but I think as I said earlier on uh, that's a very low bar. So I think marketing has been a big thing. I mean, I think when I was young, and I did smoke a bit when I was young, it, you know, why did people smoke at that age? There was a certain amount of coolness to it. You were a cool kind of person if you smoked. We, 
he kind of very fortunately with a lot of hard work got rid of that idea and now it's kind of coming back with the with the e-cigarettes or the vaping because it's sort of harmless and light even how it's promoted and, and presented so i think even this measure will get a debate going and people start talking about it and hopefully that will surface the idea that like i said earlier on that certainly mm. entering into it is not a good idea whatever about maybe using it to exit out of smoking mm. cigarettes and, is, is a different thing and the way you put it is very interesting i think michael entering into it uh, because it's uh, an addiction to nicotine and it seems to be a stepping stone or a, a gateway uh, because uh, those who vape they say are three to five times more likely to start smoking uh, young people who may have never smoked a cigarette could end up smoking because uh, they started vaping and that seems to be uh, uh, coming through uh, because more people are smoking in this country now in, in the last couple of years than would have been the case when the numbers were going down uh, and now they're starting to go back up yeah, and that is the worrying trend, as you said. That's uh, the whole idea of, of we just didn't understand enough, I think, whatever it must be about 10 years ago, the cigarette becoming popular, and the vast majority of people just common sense and say, oh, well, that's not so bad. But of course, now we look in more depth and more detail. We see there's a lot of issues like all the ones uh, that you mentioned. So I think. Uh, making people think again about it is, is, is very important and a lot of similarities with all the other type of marketing that goes on where you, you almost feel sometimes the cleverer more colourful the marketing the more the more has been mm-hmm. kind of almost uh, hidden from view uh, and, and yes advertisers and marketers are very very good at this they get around regulation they've been very very creative and, and I suppose in a way fair play to them but mm-hmm. the job of lawmakers and regulators is, is to look at the evidence look at the facts and make the laws accordingly and I think that's why doing something like this does make a lot of sense. Okay, and should it have gone further? I see the Irish Heart Foundation are saying that it should have gone further. They should have barred all of these flavours. Uh, they should have taxed vaping products uh, higher uh, and uh, they should have done something about these disposable vapes because the disposable vapes are very popular amongst young people because you can't have them at home for your parents to discover and you don't smell of anything, obviously. Certainly some of those, I'm not sure, you know, the, the all-out ban is always a tough one, you know, but the other the other things they've mentioned there, I think would, would be a good idea, things around taxation and certainly uh, anything that's, you know, surreptitious. Uh, there's other ones I don't even know myself, there's ones where you, you put the small cigarette inside the big tube or something, I'm not sure if it's even safe because someone showed it to me recently, so there's a lot of stuff out there and it's very hard for parents and for other people to keep up, so... Uh, I think there is good expert opinion now and good research and certainly the, the public health authorities that seem to be across it and, and on top of it and trying to take a nuanced view and we can't just and that's maybe you know do we go further let's get this done first I suppose and see okay. how it works and see how it impacts Very good. the numbers that would be the best way Okay Michael thank you indeed uh, for joining us today Michael McLaughlin Head of Advocacy and Communications with Youth Work Ireland that's our programme for today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.